Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. So I'm Chris McGinn, the lifestyle editor here at the Manchester Cricket, and once again we have Mark Stoll from Manchester by the Book here to chat with us about anything and everything, but presumably um, your last piece for the Cricket, which I found terribly interesting and terrifying at the same time, because like a lot of other people, maybe, or maybe it's just me, that go into your bookshop, I sort of dreaded the day when you asked me what my favorite book was. <laughs> and then it happened. <laughs> and I was going through all my different possibilities, trying to figure out which one would sound the best instead of maybe what was honest. And then I brilliantly just said, I don't know. <laughs> so for others out there that have had this experience, uh, Mark's going to share with us sort of how he sometimes chooses a book. Well, I got that favorite book thing from my uh, high school English teacher, who was uh, Mr. Jones, Ken Jones, who was actually very famous because one of his students, who was a year older than mine, won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for fiction. Uh, nice. Paul Harding won it for Tinkers. Oh, yes. You mentioned that. Yeah. And uh, so Mr. Jones, whenever you would see him, which I think was a good move, brilliant move because he would ask whenever he ran into former students or whatever he would always ask what are you reading and right. I was like that's so great because he doesn't really remember you or whatever and you know it goes right to books and then you're like oh Mr. Jones and you're like oh what am I reading and I remember um I used to see him around quite a bit for some reason and um uh I remember the first time he asked me that, I, I had been reading Ann Tyler, and he said, oh, I've, uh, I went through an Ann Tyler phase myself. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And it's such an interesting question that my friends were always like, oh, Mr. Jones, he asked what you're reading and all that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. It's such a good thing. If you don't know, you know, you're at a party or something like that, you don't know what to say. Absolutely. You say, oh, are you reading? Yep. And so if I have asked them before, like, what your favorite book is, I said, how is your reading life? <laughs> and uh, then they're like, oh, my reading life. Jeez, let me tell you. You know, when people say, oh, what's your favorite book? I have like 5,000, I could say. But depends on my mood because, you know, a lot of times I'm just like, oh, yeah, crime and punishment. Right, yes, yeah, so which know? is the one and, I've But heard other times I really think about it and I'm like, oh, you know, this one or, well, my favorite book I'm reading lately or something like that. But it's just like the starter to get into books that people feel an emotional connection to, because I think that's what a good book does. It creates an emotional... Oh, another one that's gemmed, a 2D gem, I got off of Facebook. Wow. As someone said that it was their favorite book. And it was a friend of mine from high school, her younger sister. I don't know how I got onto a Facebook page, but on her Facebook said it said, her favorite book was Danny Champion of the World okay. by Raul Dahl. Which I hadn't read it before. Have, oh, you and I have talked about this. Yes. I read it with my kids. Yeah. And I don't understand why everyone isn't talking about it when they talk about Raul Dahl. Forget about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Certainly forget about James and the Giant yes. Peach. Danny Champion of the World is probably at maybe my number one favorite children's book. It is epic. I found a new great favorite book 
the other day. So I bought a collection of cat books. Yes, we've seen, it's been all cats at Manchester by the Book for a while. Well, I was thinking, you know, for different times in your life, you know, there's like in my, when I was 16, there was my favorite. And then when I was 26 and then, you know, 36 and now. Yes, I mean, and that, that's why I think like children's literature is so unbelievably rich because that's when you're most passionate. You know, you find a favorite book or a book that like inspired you to take up reading or whatever. And that's like, you have such an unbelievable emotional attachment to it. So you can always ask people what their favorite children's book was. And that's always an interesting uh, thing. Or when the people see their favorite children's book in a bookstore and they always go, oh my God, that's right. my favorite book. I can't believe that. I think sometimes when you're that age, though, you, you so easily see yourself in the book. I think we lose that, unfortunately. I mean, mm -hmm. I just remember feeling, and I watched my kids do it, feeling like they were these characters. I mean, you could, they, you know, they're, they're in it completely when you're reading out loud to them or they're reading themselves. And maybe that has something to do with how you lock it in so vividly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember, I think, uh, the moment when I first could read. Wow. Because my mother was a um, teacher, elementary school teacher her whole life. And um, she had a closet, a learning closet in our house. And it was filled with like paper and uh, oh, yeah. crafts stuff and stuff like, but also books. And I was, and you could go into the closet and turn on the light. So I was in the closet and... You know, she was like teaching me to read. I don't know how old I was. And then I had this book and all of a sudden I could read. And then I remember going to my father and being like, look at this. And I was like, oh, great. And, uh, but I distinctly remember that moment where I, I could read. It was right. very uh, That's quite something. Yeah. I remember finishing my first book and it was like one of these like huge children's books that's like a book of words, you uh -huh. know, so you could yes. read it. And But I remember, I and same thing, I can remember the, the way the sofa looked. I remember that I was by myself in the living room and I closed it and I thought, I just read this whole book and I was just jazzed. I mean, it was a big deal. I have the exact same experience of the first book I read cover to cover. It was a Tintin book. Ah. And I was on the couch in our living room and I was like, oh, I read a complete book. A book. Yeah. yeah. It was so and interesting. So it begins. Yeah. All right. But well, that's another question I have, not book related, but I say, uh, what do you think your first memory is? Oh. And that's always very uh, interesting and evocative of people. And I don't think your first memory will be true. Because no. I think I have a first memory where I'm standing up in my crib and my sister, because I slept in my sister's room, my sister Karen's room when I was an infant. And I think I have that memory, but then I'm like, oh, I doubt it. it. I, I bet you it's very difficult to get your first memory. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting is whenever people ask me that question, I have impressions, but not a memory. And it always has to do with sunlight. Like a lot of my childhood memories have to do, I mean, but that one, it's like somehow seeing light coming in somehow. And there's usually a dog involved. We always had dogs. So that may be it. But I remember so vividly taking naps when I was really tiny and watching how it would get lighter and darker as the clouds. Now I know the clouds would pass over the sun in Arizona. But mm -hmm. I just remember the rhythm of that light changing. So it's always about mm. light. At a, uh, I was driving in Florida. I was on vacation. I was driving in Florida. And um, Jeremy Irons... Oh. Uh, reads the Chronicles of Narnia. And it just oh. came on the radio. Oh, God. And all of a sudden, I had no—I had driven for like two hours with not knowing where I was going. All of a sudden, I was—I was I had no <laughs> idea where I was. I was like, "Jeez!" 
And it just went on and on. It was yeah. just so uh, mesmerizing. Right. And, and it, it can transport you. I remember we, we drove to Disneyland and got stuck in like, we listened to the Black Stallion. On, uh, with the kids, and it was just, I mean, we were in traffic, and it just didn't matter. We were all there, you know? That's when it's the best, when it can sort of transport you when you'd rather not be maybe where you are. That was such a beautiful movie, too. That is one of, I can't believe you just said, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, it's exquisite. It has so little dialogue. No. It's, yeah, but it's interesting, because if you recommend it to kids now, it's hard, because it's slow, but it's... That's, I think, one of Coppola's best films. It's just perfect. So you want, to, want another uh, book question that always gets good uh, responses? Yes, and please. You can, you can both tell me. Tell me about your first experiences at your local library. Okay. You mean the local library that we have now or when you were little? When like, you were little. Oh, so I have it so vividly because at school they would give you the little like a summer reading list. And so when we weren't big, sorry, mom and dad, they didn't read to us much. We were a really book oriented family. I sort of found that later on in life, but at school they would give you in grade school, the little summer reading list. And I remember my mom would, you know, drop me in and go her, you know, to some other section. And I would look through the little card catalog and I would find the books and you would read them and you'd get a sticker. When I was a kid, they had um, story time at night and you could go in your pajamas. And so my three sisters and I, we would all get in our pajamas and go, and we, we had early bedtimes. So it was like late, for, it was like seven o'clock or something like that. So we got to go in the car, go to the one in public library, and then they would read to us. Everybody was in their pajamas. And then you got like a cookie or something like that afterwards. And I just was like, so loved that whole experience. And it was like night and you're in your pajamas walking to the car. And you're like, oh, wow, this is an adventure. That's and I so loved sweet. It. And the other life goals is to go to every public library. I'll never achieve it. Every public library in New England. Oh, it could be. Well, how, how far along are you? I have no idea, but it's well, like yeah. it's impossible because like some like just going to the Boston Public Library, oh. there's probably like 24 branches, right? And then like Lowell has like seven branches, and then you know it's like yeah. there's so many hidden ones, and there's so many towns oh. you don't even know about. I know, you know, that are just like so. But it's so whenever it's I'm so in funny. a town and I have a few minutes, I always. It's always good because they always have public bathrooms too, but I always like to go to the library because so many times there's such interesting buildings. There's totally. so many different interesting rooms in there. A lot of them are just like, uh, you know, a room that like nobody goes in, but it's part, and you're just like, wow. So Mark, what are you thinking about writing next for the cricket? What should I write about next? Right? Nah, mm -hmm. probably something to do with children's books. <gasps> Excellent. You know. and, and it's a perfect time, sort of summer reading. Uh, I've read a uh, couple of Stephen King's, but I'm not a Stephen King fan at all. I actually have a big theory about it, but I won't go into it. Really? Yeah. Mark, what's your theory about Stephen King? <laughs> uh, I think in uh, the world, it's a big, long theory, but I'll sum it up. In the world, it's, it's very peculiar how like good and evil are so balanced, and I think... Uh, Stephen King, I consider him like a cultural polluter. Oh. I think he like puts all these things uh. out into the world that aren't helping anybody, that aren't, but are just playing on people's dark side or playing on people's uh, imagination that's like 
tough. But I'm very overly sensitive about that because I don't even like people to decorate their houses for Halloween in dark ways. Like if there's like a gory thing on their house, I'm like, you're inviting something not good. It's quite sad though that Halloween, you know, especially when we were living in Europe, they don't have Halloween. And when their impressions of it, instead of sort of this sort of magical evening where you get to dress up as what you want and that's lovely, is, is these sort of gory images that come out of America where... You know, people wear these scary, and that's, I remember when the first time the kids asked to wear like scary costumes and I was like, no, 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 no. But yeah. I'm with you. I think that that, I'm not down with that as much. Yeah. It's sort of the sad part of Halloween. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> as always, a complete pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.